Welcome to the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, we go inside Wikipedia, whose lofty goal is to share the sum of all human knowledge with everyone on Earth. The head of Wikipedia's library, Jake Orlowitz, joined CIIS philosophy scholar Dr. Matt Siegel to talk about how Wikipedia keeps its vast and complicated platform running. This talk was recorded on March 9, 2016, in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs podcast, please find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. So how long have you been with Wikipedia? So I started editing. I was living in Colorado in 2007, and I had graduated from a liberal arts college in Connecticut with a degree in political theory. And I just had this knack to, like, what's this Wikipedia thing? And I was sitting in my car outside of Starbucks using their Wi-Fi for free, and I started reading their policy pages. Like, what are the rules of Wikipedia? And shortly thereafter, I started editing random articles like clothing or the war on drugs, just random things I was interested in. And so uh, I really got hooked in... 2009 and 2010, and found myself editing all different kinds of areas, fighting vandalism, writing articles about subjects that were interesting to me. And then around 2011, I started developing programs, so tools that would help other people join the community, and uh, library resources for for our editors to do better research. And so it has been about eight years as an editor, and then I joined the foundation um, in 2014 officially, um, having been a grant-funded part of the organization before then. So uh, eight years, 35,000 edits to the site, and um, my role now is uh, head of the Wikipedia library, which... Right. And you want to tell us a little bit about what the library does? Sure. Yeah. Um, So... It functions in a couple different ways, but um, our editors need a library. Um, we depend on research. We, we base everything that we do on quality sources. So for many of our editors, like much of the world, the best resources are often behind some expensive paywall of a publisher. Uh, universities, elite universities have access to these. Um, some individuals can afford to pay for uh, access themselves, but most of, most don't. So uh, the library, one of its main projects is we we work with publishers like, I don't know, JSTOR or Elsevier, uh, Taylor & Francis, Gale, Oxford University Press, really impor- important storehouses of knowledge. And they give us donations, and then we distribute them to our top editors. So we literally are acting as a library, and then we're providing access to the scholarly literature to our best editors. So they, they give donations in the sense that then you use that money to pay? Not money. They actually, so they, what they donate is, is access to the right. site. So whether that's a, um, a password to right. get in or, um, you know, a, a special code that... And any editor can access that or only certain editors? 
Uh, no, you can understand that a lot of the publishers might be concerned about their business models being uh, destroyed if the whole yeah. world could get through. So it's for our, um, it's for more active editors, but the bar is not ridiculously high. It's uh, six months, uh, a six-month-old account, and 500 edits. Right. So uh, a moderately active, someone who's shown that they're here to work on Wikipedia. Really, uh, anyone who edits in good faith and um, you know, is, is here to build right. an encyclopedia rather than just do their own research right. uh, for personal uses. But it is pretty like, it is a pretty good faith model. Um, these are some of the largest publishers in the world and they're giving free access to anonymous, um, totally anonymous folks right. who we vouch for because We've got, you know, because they have a good reputation in our community. So it's a, it's a pretty good show of faith by the publishers to walk into this more open, radically open kind of world. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you, you mentioned you were studying political theory before you became an editor and yeah. then uh, eventually joined the foundation. Do you see Wikipedia as um, having some? political significance, or is there a connection between your interest in political theory and your interest in Wikipedia? That is a really good question. Um, so on the one hand, Wikipedia's core pillar is neutrality, that we don't take sides in debates, that we merely represent debates, giving kind of a map to the actual world of what is happening in a field or a subject. Um, but of course, in reality, Wikipedia is quite radical. Um, the notion that knowledge should be free for everyone, and that's actually the mission of the Wikimedia Foundation, is to imagine a world in which every single person on the planet shares in the sum of all human knowledge is a, a radical notion. Um, and I think there is, uh, there is some political significance there, the notion that um, people cannot fulfill their reach their fullest potential without information about their world, about their own bodies, about uh, their history and their culture. Um, I think it empowers citizenship to be informed. Um, so in that sense, it's definitely kind of pro-democracy, although our articles are on democracy are neutral. You know, we don't, uh, take, we don't take a stand one way or the other on what the best political system is. Um, and our, our copyright is radically uh, progressive or uh, copy left, if you will. So um, copyright, when you produce something, uh, and this varies by country, but um, you retain or you are granted certain rights, like the right to share the content as the copyright holder or the right to sell the content. And so that little C, copyright C, that you see on most websites stands for all rights reserved. This means that you keep all the rights for yourself. And Wikipedia uh, does almost the opposite of that. So the license on Wikipedia, and this is a, a legal license called a Creative Commons license. If you're familiar, it's actually a Creative Commons with attribution, share alike uh, license, CCBYSA. And this means that the only right, that you give up all rights to control how this content is used, with two exceptions, that um, if someone else uses it, they give you attribution. They say, this is where I got it. Um, and that anything they do with it, the same terms follow for their works. So this is really radically free because it means someone can take 
all of Wikipedia, any part of Wikipedia, um, and they can modify it. They can create derivative works from it that incorporate parts of Wikipedia. They can share it as much and as widely as they want. They can mirror it on a website and put ads on it if they want to try and commercialize it. They can sell articles in print, printed volumes. They can do almost anything with it so long as they give attribution that this is where it came from. Right. And whatever they do carries that same term forward. And correct me if I'm wrong, but as an editor, if you add something, if you even create a whole article yourself, there's no easy way to find out that you were the author unless you go behind the scenes and sort of track that person down. So yeah. it's, it's a kind of selfless act in a way, or am I missing something? No, that's a, that's a, neat, um, that's a neat question. Uh, so authorship on Wikipedia is um, hidden in many ways, although ironically it's the very nature of a wiki is all about tracking who did what. So most people don't know or don't click, but there's a, a tab on every Wikipedia page, at least on the desktop version of the site, that says view history. And yeah. if you want to see every single discrete change, how many bytes were added or removed, whether, you know, in the exact, the, the changes to each character, you see that, what time it was made and who did it. That's all tracked and recorded. That's actually one of the, excuse me, one of the fundamental properties of what makes a wiki a wiki is that it has this version history that you can, you can track, you can see, you can look through, you can also go back really easily. Um, but none of that is shown on the article itself. So, um, I mean, you can find it. There are tools. There's a, a tool called, it's called Wikiblame, um, where you can find out who's responsible for, for how much of an article. Um, you know, but these are all kind of behind the scenes, inside baseball things. They're not, um, it's not like you read a Wikipedia article and at the top it says, by. By. Yeah. And if it did, it wouldn't really help anyone because it would be by, you know, New York John. People and yeah, or it'd be a lot of people and yeah. there'd be anonymous usernames for the most part that, wouldn't yeah people don't do it for the um kind of the credit and credential that most scholarship most almost all publications right. so what was the motivation for you when you started editing that you just had an interest in these topics and you wanted to share your expertise or is there something else going on um so it's it's a couple it's multi-layered there um on the one hand, uh, I was living in a mountain town in Colorado, and I was really bored. I have one of those active minds that I always want to be, that I just naturally kind of chew on things, and I'm trying to figure something out, trying to figure something out. And it was a ski town, and it was lovely, and it was a privilege to be there and get to ski a lot. But really, I was bored. And so Wikipedia was this place where every single puzzle and intellectual dilemma and ideological conflict is being resolved and negotiated on a daily basis. So that fascinated me. Mm -hmm. um, and from a political theory perspective, the fact that Wikipedia had, there is a body of law, so to speak, on Wikipedia called our policies. There are 55 core policies and some 200 other guidelines which are almost, um, you know, uh, have the same weight. And that fascinated me as a student of someone who read Hobbes in college and studied the origin of laws. And um, what's very, very cool about our legal system, so to speak, is that 
uh, it was written by the community itself, and it has continued to be written by that community. It's an ever-changing body of policies that, and this is neat, um, it doesn't tell you what you must do. Actually, our policies are supposed to be a reflection of what common practice is. Right. And so it's, it's a little more like common law than um, like thou shalt not kind of rules. Or, if, you know, it's, it's, it's just the accumulated wisdom of the community that it's been written down. And that fascinated me. Like, wow, not only is there all these people working together, but they're working on how to work together and they're documenting it. And you can see and you can change it. You can get involved. You can say, you know, this policy really doesn't work in this area. And the policy can change based on consensus of whoever's in that discussion. Right. So, so yeah, uh, curiosity, um, boredom. And uh, also, um, I have to say, there was a tremendous rush. I still remember this. I was in Colorado. Um, I, was, I wanted to find a really mundane article. So I looked for the article on clothing. And uh, it was not in very good shape. Uh, actually, unfortunately, some of our most general articles are in need of the most work, like uh, an article on people or uh, humanity or um, clothing or you know, fashion sometimes can really lack the detail that some of the subtopics have. So I thought, well, let me take a look at clothing. And I, I cleaned it up. It needed some organization. And I remember one of the first substantive edits I made, and it's probably... And this is way back in the beginning, it probably would not stand today if I added it, was I made a very fine-grained distinction between what was an accessory and what was clothing. And it involved, uh, I just, I mean, I literally pulled it out of my head. Like, oh, well, this seems like it makes sense in the world. Like, you know, an accessory is something that is uh, carried rather than worn, or it serves a, um, a functional purpose rather than just covering the body. And I made it up. I just, I made it up. I thought, I thought naively or just innocently that Wikipedia is where you go and write what you know. Um, and that worked for the clothing article. But then I tried to do the same thing on the war on drugs article. And again, this is very early days. And I wrote all these arguments for why the war on drugs was a bad idea. And um, uh, an administrator, we have 1,400 administrators for, um, these are folks who have a little bit of extra powers. Um, or extra rights, uh, and one of the administrators immediately just reverted, undid my edits. So in that history of edits, he, he said, let's go back to the version before. So he just erased my contribution. Um, and he said, there's no source for anything you just said. Like, where's your source? And you're like, I'm and, the source. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I, th I thought like, well, these are, these are logically plausible arguments. Right. Like anyone, these, these are natural extensions of of what, what we know about economics or what we've seen in prohibition. And, but it didn't matter. He wanted sources. It didn't matter what I thought. And so I very compulsively and somewhat vengefully looked for way too many references and provided them in abundance. Yeah. And once I did that, the content stayed. And it was like, oh, that's how this works. Like, mm -hmm. So it was initially like I get to share my intelligence, kind of an act of ego and hubris. And, but it more quickly became, this is a process of research that you engage with where as much as you consult other editors, you're really in a, you're really in a conversation with, with the published literature on a subject. Um, and that is kind of one of the defining features of Wikipedia, that no one's opinion as an, as an editor matters uh, in terms of what is expressed on the page. 
we, we defer, like our job is not to, to write or do anything original or inventive or creative. Our job is actually it's quite limited and a little bit um, uh, less exciting than it may, may seem. Is we're just there to figure out what the important relevant sources are and then summarize them neutrally and in proportion to uh, how many sources take one side or go this way and we try and lay out that map. So it, it is a great rush to know that hundreds of thousands, I mean, I don't, I don't, there's no easy way to count it, but people, have, millions of people have probably read words that I've written just by sheer, the fact that I wrote so many articles in the early days and they've been on the page for so long and Wikipedia gets 8,000 views every second, like, that is, yeah. you know, there's... Mind-boggling. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> it, there's, when I tell people this, you know, if you write something on Wikipedia and you do a good job, you can very well become the most read author on that subject in the entire world, bar none. And it's happened. We had um, an education program. So one of the things we do is outreach to schools because um, we think that universities, um, one, are a great uh, avenue for improving Wikipedia. Why not uh, improve a Wikipedia article that the whole world will benefit from rather than just writing a, a research paper that will only be read by your professor and then thrown away? Um, and so one of the classes that was doing this, uh, it was in 2011 uh, when the Egyptian Revolution was happening, and the article that he happened to be working on was the National Democratic Party in Egypt, which was the party of Mubarak, who was uh, overthrown in the revolution. And so he wrote this article on the party and like, was published weeks before the revolution. And when the revolution happened, he was getting a million page views a day. How many edits a day? I'm sure it became contentious, right? Uh, you know, I mean, maybe a couple, maybe a dozens to a couple hundred edits a day, but yeah. because he'd done a good job right. um, and taken it seriously, um, at that point, he was probably the most read author on the National Democratic Party of Egypt in the world at a time when the world was coming to figure out what is, what is going on here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and, and that, you know, speaking of motivations, that's also... Uh, a huge sense of, I mean, sure, there's, there's an ego kick to it, but there's a huge sense of responsibility in that. Mm -hmm. um, especially, um, especially in areas where you know people are trying to um, understand the world and understand themselves. Right. So you mentioned that it's uh, helpful to improve quality on some articles to go to universities and try to get academics involved. Um, what do you think about uh, some universities, some professors would tell their students, don't cite Wikipedia, that's yeah. not allowed. Yeah. Knowledge isn't democratic. And they have this more elitist attitude. On the other hand, there are plenty of books that are published by Harvard University Press, Cambridge University Press, and those scholars, tenured professors, are citing Wikipedia yeah. um, in many cases. So is knowledge democratic? Is yeah. there an elitist component to it? How do you? That's yeah, a, a really on point question. That. So um, this is a, a kind of thesis-sized uh, discussion, and then there's a, a book that came out called Wikipedia U, which, if you're interested in this um, kind of who owns knowledge and, and how is it created, I recommend it very uh, highly. It's a little dense, but um, so it's evolved. In 2005, people thought Wikipedia was a joke. 
it mainly was a joke. Um, in 2007, people started to notice that Wikipedia actually was pretty useful. And in 2010, most of the studies were showing that it was comparable to other reference sources. And now we know things like Wikipedia is the most viewed medical source online, more than WebMD or the National Institute of Health or the World Health Organization. Um, That's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. On who? Um, on all of, I mean, on our community, which right. in some respect is anyone in the world who thinks that knowledge needs to be represented Very to the public. Very interesting notion of distributed responsibility there for medical knowledge and people seeking information, and it's, yeah. it's fascinating. It, it, it is distributed, and, <clears throat> and it, in some ways, is um, it can be tempting to view it as a counterpoint to the traditional way of knowledge formation or knowledge production, that it's, that it's a, a tenured scholar at a prestigious institution who's been vetted and reviewed by his colleagues. But I think in the, the actual kind of pipeline of research, we're not in opposition to that. Again, we rely on those scholars or those journalists or those anthropologists to do the work, and then we summarize their work. So it's not a question of can a crowd create knowledge out of original research, because that's not what we do. It's a question of can a crowd evaluate and review a body of publications. And that, I think, we've shown, and scientific studies have shown, that we can. In fact, um, kind of a watershed moment. I said in 2005, Wikipedia was a joke. I think most people thought of it as a joke. But actually, in 2005, Nature, which is probably the most prestigious journal, uh, one of the most prestigious journals in the world did a study and it compared Wikipedia versus Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, and they found that they were largely comparable. They had um, similar coverage. Wikipedia had coverage of more subjects than Britannica. Britannica's articles were a little better organized. Um, and they both had a similar number of errors. Neither were error-free. Um, and this was published in, in Nature. And it was the first study that kind of said, wait a second, like this process is actually um, working from, from someone else's point of view, not Wikipedians saying that this works, but um, when you look at the results empirically, it's working. Something is, something is working here. We have this saying on Wikipedia that um, Wikipedia only works in practice because in theory it could never work. Like, it doesn't make sense that you could just throw anyone into a room, let anyone say, write whatever they want, and come out with something which is comparable to uh, you know, the finest editorially curated encyclopedia in history, you know, which Encyclopedia Britannica, um, you know, held that spot for a long time. Um, I lost the original train of thought in the question, so feel free to bring me back to where... Well, uh, knowledge, is it, is it, I mean, there's, there's a democratic component to the way knowledge is produced on Wikipedia, and yeah. traditionally the old academic model uh, has been that knowledge is something you have to earn. It's, a, um, it's something that um, is developed by experts. And at some point, you are acknowledged by peers who are also experts as being you know, the foremost professor of what, whatever. And you know, you're qualified at that point. Whereas on right. Wikipedia, you just have to have a source that you can cite. Yeah, yeah. So, so in that sense, yes, Wikipedia is, is, a, um, 
it's not anti-credentials or anti-credentialist environment. It's actually um, just your credentials don't matter. So um, we, we have a, a joke essay that you could be the foremost professor in your field and end up having um, a head-to-head -head debate for uh, many months with uh, Randy in Boise, Idaho, who's in his basement and is a hobbyist about a subject and you know, that that could happen. Um, uh, your credentials don't matter. Um, we, we, we've had a, um, you know, the, the, the president of the United States or Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia, could, could argue that something is true and we would still ask them for their source. Um, mm -hmm. And that is pretty radical. Um, Anyone can participate in that process. But we're also a human community. And some of the studies of kind of the network dynamics show that there are people who have informal credibility. Right. Uh, it's not formal credentials. No one gets a mark next to their name like this is a good or bad editor. But you develop a clout. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. As you create, have this record over time and people see you and... Uh, they tend to find that you are, we like to use the word clueful, you kind of get a, take, the, take the right hints and, and make fair arguments and, and engage well. Uh, you do develop clout. And, and I think there are thought leaders on Wikipedia, even though they're not, um, even though they're not um, kind of imbued with any actual uh, power. Um, right. And in our... It's important to note that when I mentioned that there are administrators, these are people who, you know, if someone comes by and writes a bunch of uh, epithets on a page and um, or just writes like, Jimmy and Susie are making out exclamation point 15 times, like, we can block those people. Or if someone is making personal attacks, we can block them. I'm an administrator, actually. Um, but we have no extra say when it comes to resolving arguments about the content of Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. So there really is no one in control of the, no one, sorry, that's not true. It is, it is a collective control, but there's no one with the final determination. It's always evolving through that process of dialogue and consensus. Mm -hmm. um, and we define consensus not in a democratic sense, because it has a connotation of you just take a vote. Right. And, and, and it's, it's not democratic in that sense. When we decide how we're going to characterize the, um, you know, uh, a debate about, um, you know, when we're going to write the article on George Bush or Barack Obama, or we're going to write the article about uh, the Israeli-Palestine relations in crisis. Um, what we do is have discussions. Sometimes they're kind of formal discussions. Um, and you take all the legitimate arguments, all the arguments that are based off of good sources that are in line with our policies, and you weigh those legitimate arguments. So it's not merely a vote. It's a, it, it's a, it's a very intricate weighing of legitimate arguments. I mean, right. that's kind of what, what our model is. And, and it, can take, it can take ages to come to consensus about and things. Do these um, discussions happen in the talk tab on a Wikipedia article? Yeah. Or? So, uh, I guess I should. It's my I favorite should. tab on the, on the articles. I love so, controversy and argument. And if so, you guys haven't ever clicked on the talk tab, it's that's where the fireworks are really happening. So let me just get a, a sense of the room just by show of hands. How many of you um, 
would say you read Wikipedia at least once a week. Something close to that. How many of you have, have edited Wikipedia before? Uh, ha any of you are like prolific, hardcore, serious editors? Just, just checking it. Maybe I, maybe I know you. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, how many of you have seen and gone to the talk tab on an article? Not too many. Couple. Okay. Yeah. So there's this hidden world. It's not hidden. It's right there. You know, at the top of the page, it says read, and then it says talk. Um, but people see Wikipedia as this ubiquitous, um, not perfect, but kind of stable or, or finished product, because that's kind of how we're used to interacting with any other source of knowledge. Right. Knowledge is a product, unless right. you're it's, in a university producing that knowledge. Right, and it's finished, yeah. you know? But, but Wikipedia, there's this whole world of talk. It's actually a separate namespace, the talk namespace. Um, and every single article has a talk page. And so there's discussion, robust discussion, dating back often, you know, over a decade on how to present the topics in the article. And it's not a forum where you say, I like this, or I don't like this, or this guy's stupid. It's where you talk about the sources and how to present them. You know, how do you define this? What are the key elements of it? How should it be organized? How do you handle a controversy? You know, how much attention does it get? Uh, should it be mentioned at all? Um, and all these very intricate debates that um, are invisible but are what mm -hmm. sucked me in, right. uh, very much so. So obviously anyone can go in and, and edit an article, and it'll stick if they have good sources. But in terms of um, the demographics of the community that do tend to do this, most of them look like you and me. Yes. They're young white men, mostly English speaking. I know there are pages in other languages, but yeah. most of the editors fit that yes. demographic. Um, yeah. And there's been plenty of criticism about that. Yeah. How do you... How is Wikipedia trying to solve that issue when, um, you know, you can't force people of different demographics to edit? Um, how do you, what, what's the problem? Where is that stemming from? And how, do, how does Wikipedia want to address it? Or are there ideas to address it? This is a really deep issue. Uh, and part of it is due to Wikipedia. And part of it is within, and that part is within our control. Um, part of it is due to broader issues with um, gender in the world. Um, and so you know, I'll try and give you a, a look at, at both sides of that. So um, the previous executive director of the Wikimedia Foundation, which is the, the nonprofit I work at, um, did a really neat study. Or it was kind of informal, but it was a survey of why women don't edit Wikipedia. And there were a variety of responses. Um, Let's go through a couple of them. Uh, the one that stuck out most to me and I think is really interesting is that um, women tend to have, and this is well documented, less leisure time. And it takes a lot of time to edit Wikipedia. And most women, um, by and large, do more of the extra task work in a family or um, you know, their job. And that's, that's well documented, lack of leisure time. Wikipedia is a leisure hobby. It's a middle class to upper middle class hobby. Uh, and if you have less time for hobbies, whether that's gaming or, um, or 
cooking or running, you're going to have less time for Wikipedia too. But it's also a question of if you have limited leisure time, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to choose to spend it in an environment where you're having contentious debates all the time? And that that's, you know, and so that was a response that, that, that women said that, you know, lack of leisure time, I'm really busy. Um, I'm not really into these hostile environments. Now, there were some that struck kind of more at the core of, of socialization of men versus women, like uh, a lot of women said they lacked confidence to edit. That, you know, whereas I think uh, a tendency of men is to think, oh, here's something, I can fix it. <laughs> um, you know, <Yeah>. whether, <laughs> without regard to whether or not that's, that's at all true or well-founded. Um, you know, that women are more socialized to take a uh, kind of hands-off approach until they really make sure they understand the nuances of the situation. And Wikipedia is this place where our, our motto actually is be bold. And if you think about who gets that message more in life, I think it's men than women. Uh, we're trying to change this as a culture. But yeah, women are not necessarily apt to think, oh, yeah, I can be an authority on this. Whereas some random young man might think, sure, I'm well-educated. I know, I can do this. So, that, so there was a lot of that. Um, and there are some that come down to uh, some trends that happen before people get to Wikipedia. So there are others. I want, I want to make sure I give full blame to Wikipedia for what we, what we lack and contribute to this problem and then also talk about solutions. But um, you know, some women feel that Wikipedia's culture is misogynistic or overly sexualized. Um, an example of that is we have a media site called Wikimedia Commons. Incredible. It's a collection of free images. They're as free as the text. 30 million free images. Um, there are a lot of pictures of penises on that site. <laughs> There's a lot of what most people would call pornography. Uh, a lot more of it than you would find in proportion to other subjects. And this is okay because sex is a part of life and because there's no, nothing wrong with, um, we, we don't censor any part of life, whether that's violence, whether that's blasphemy, whether that's uh, sexuality. Um, we are radically open in that way. If you go to the article about a sexual act, you'll, you actually won't see a picture anymore, you'll see a drawing. Um, but there's a lot more of that. You know, uh, we actually kind of like had to, you know, and I'm not speaking as, this, this is just true. Like, uh, there's, there's, there's been efforts to reduce the number of penis pictures on Wikimedia Commons. And so, yeah, it's a sexualized environment in some ways. Uh, and some women are uh, turned off by that. Or maybe uh, someone finds out you're a female and they hit on you. And it's like, you know, I'm in my free time. I'm trying to expand knowledge. Like, I don't want this here. You know, and I know that women face that all the time walking down the street, you know, but it can happen in, in online. It happens a lot online. Um, we have issues with harassment, and this is not uh, our problem uniquely. It's a problem on the Internet. It's a, it's a grievous problem. Um, Twitter has it. Uh, Facebook has it. Uh, and we have it, and um, we just did a really comprehensive survey of our community, and I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but, you know, it was something like, I'm, I'm just going to ballpark, I can look it up, but some, some, somewhere between seven, 15 to 30% of the women, of women on the site said that they had experienced harassment, um, and some of that included death threats, and some of that included stalking. And this is actually not 
uncommon for the internet, which is the scary part. So just by, by being a woman and by being openly a woman on the internet, you expose yourself to a lot more risk and danger. Uh, and um, a phrase that I've come to appreciate more and more, uh, emotional labor, the, the labor of having to uh, either be judged inadequate or hit on or um, you know, referred to in um, even just like editors tend to assume that everyone else is male, you know, and there's, there's, there's a weight and a burden that, that is unpleasant there. And we're trying to change it as a culture, but culture change is really hard. Um, so I want to say one thing about uh, issues outside of um, Wikipedia. There, there's a really great study that was done that showed that a lot of the uh, determination of whether or not someone stayed and edited on Wikipedia, um, the study showed that a lot of it corresponded to pre-existing internet skills. Um, that tech, and you know, this you can kind of see this in the way that Lego changed its marketing. You know, between the '70s and and the '90s. Uh, tech has, in computer science, for example, used to have more female PhDs, now has drastically more males. Um, internet skills seem to, for no good reason, be picked up more by men. And this is not to say that women are not competent. Uh, it's, it's to say that there are often messages that I think women are less inclined to tinker with technology. It's a problem we're trying to solve with... Uh, hacker spaces and really cool initiatives like Girls, um, Girls Code and Black Girls Rock and these efforts to get more women into tech. Um, and it, it's almost like, yeah, this is critical. This is vital. Yeah. Um, but it's also, you're going to ask someone to go into a field that could be hostile to them. And there's, there's a sense of responsibility in that. Like, how do you, how do you say, we need you? when you can't say, we can create a safe environment for you. Um, mm -hmm. There's a perception among some um, that due to, I mean, there's the demographic yeah, um, yeah. imbalance, and then mm -hmm. within that demographic imbalance, there may be some systemic biases yes. uh, towards yes. certain uh, interpretations of what counts as knowledge and yes. what counts as notability and notoriety. Yes. And, um, yeah without a more diverse array of people contributing to the, to the website, it seems like that is a, an ongoing issue. Yeah, systemic bias is a huge problem. We have systemic bias um, in which women are underrepresented, in which most of the developing world is underrepresented. So uh, we have, our editors are human, and most of them, again, look like the two gentlemen on the stage. So when someone writes uh, a biography of... Um, an Indian scientist, an Indian female scientist, uh, the 22-year-old who's going to college in the UK uh, might have an instinct like, oh, that person's not really actually important. Um, whereas their instinct when they see an article about another soccer player might be, oh yeah, they're a professional soccer player, so we should have an article. Um, and th that is, we have that systemic bias. Um, we are aware of it. So we have... I think generally our policies are are sound, but we, we are a human community, and we can only apply them as well as um, as our editors are are educated. In some sense, it's educating our own editors 
about the fact that they may have implicit biases that they, they're not aware of. Mm -hmm. um, right. There's, there's a, um, well, so we're at CIS and there are many sure. um, approaches to, to psychology and to philosophy and ways of understanding uh, what the universe is all about that um, uh, groups of editors or communities of editors, there's a group called uh, Guerrilla Skeptics. Uh, okay. Who um, have a very uh, sort of robust presence and yeah. strength in numbers, and there does seem to be um, this practice where they will um, look for articles, um, Rupert Sheldrake, for example, um, or articles that they might perceive to be pseudoscientific. Mm -hmm. There's even a page for pseudo philosophy, which I discovered earlier today. That's interesting. I don't even know what that would mean. Well, in the talk, there's a discussion: how do you demarcate philosophy from pseudo philosophy? That's not mentioned in this page. Um, and well, just to take this page as an example, because sure. I know something about philosophy, um, the figures that I've written my dissertation on are listed as pseudo philosophical figures on this page. Um, no. And it's, you know, I'm not sure what, if I disagree with um, the sort of the perceived bias of this page, what my uh, recourse would be if I wanted to challenge the, um, the way it was worded or even put it up for deletion, say, if it just seemed too um, biased or right, right. clearly written from um, more of a, um, you know, uh, different political position or something, and it's sure. based on opinion, and it's not really uh, worthy of an encyclopedia. So what would someone like me do in that situation? So I'm going to zoom out a little bit. Sure. Um, Wikipedia reflects in many ways the, the real world, and many of the debates that happen in the real world, we have those debates. And the things that are contentious and controversial in the real world are contentious and controversial on Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, so much so that we have, so if there is a dispute which gets very heated and people disagree about it frequently, sometimes it goes to our kind of, our high court called the arbitration committee. It's elected committee. Uh, they don't rule about content, they rule about people's behavior, but they've set this whole set of sanctions, rules around pseudoscience or any article considered or like allegedly pseudoscience, or yeah, the term itself is controversial. But if you're editing in an area that some people call pseudoscience, it's like you have to be on your best behavior or you're out of there because those areas are so contentious. We have the same thing with Israel-Palestine being under sanctions. Um, contentious areas on Wikipedia are contentious. Um, there are mechanisms to address perceived bias. Um, they ultimately come down to providing sources, making an argument, and getting others involved in the discussion. So, for example, if you, know, you, you saw this page on pseudo-philosophy and you thought it should be deleted, uh, you would do a search for deletion policy, or you could go to, um, in the search bar, you could type Wikipedia colon delete. You could find our policy page on deletions. Mm -hmm. And there's a process to nominate it for deletion, and you would make your argument why. And then there would be a week-long discussion in which editors would come in and talk about whether or not 
this should be an article that exists. Are certain communities notified when I nominate um, something for deletion, or how does it, how do people find out that a page has been? Sure. So some people follow the list of pages that are nominated for deletion. Okay. Um, we actually, you know, and there are, so this was a debate that went back kind of to the roots of Wikipedia about what should and shouldn't be included. This debate between the inclusionists who thought pretty much anything should be included. Why not? It's just digital paper. There's no harm versus the deletionists who thought, no, 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 we have to really only focus on topics that are quote unquote encyclopedic. Um, and that debate is kind of always evolving, but you know, there, there are people who pay attention to those those notice boards say where every new deletion is listed. Um, but, uh, and then within, uh, you can sign up. If, if, so every article is part of a, a project, uh, a subject area. So um, like an article about uh, pseudoscience might be part of wiki project alternative, pseudophilosophy might be part of uh, wiki project intellectual history, uh, wiki project. Um, it's part of the philosophy project. I looked that up. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, wiki project philosophy. You know, um, wiki project. Yeah, it could be a number of categories, and they would be notified. So, in a sense, it's about um, it's about making an argument and getting often uninvolved editors to see. So, you know, I, the guerrilla skeptics, for example. Um, I, I don't. I don't know who they are. I've actually, I've worked in the areas of alternative medicine uh, a decent amount, and I, I, I figured that this would come up here um, and, and worried, because I think the first thing I want to acknowledge is that when you have this ubiquitous source of information and it either excludes or uh, seemingly denigrates something that you study or believe in or practice or look up to, I imagine that feels pretty shitty. Um, and uh, I'm not trying to say that every page on Wikipedia is, is perfect. Uh, there are pockets where editors have more control over the situation than others, and they often, sometimes those debates can take years to resolve. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like anything, like you said, Wikipedia is like the real world. And in the real world, when you need, uh, you disagree with a law or you think there should be a new law, you organize politically. And you get people together, and like the guerrilla skeptics, for example, do organize, and they recruit people uh, with expertise, more or less, in various topics to come edit pages that they deem pseudoscientific. Right. So the response, I would say, would be, well, if we disagree, we need to organize and have editors come and challenge the assertions coming from that side. Or would you? I, I believe there is an effort to organize folks who are proponents of alternative or mm -hmm. traditional methods that have been denigrated by Wikipedia. Right. I've seen some of the press, you know, so I was just trying to get up to speed on the latest on the subject, was reading a, right. um, an article. But on, given uh, Wikipedia's processes, that would right. be the way to address this issue, right? I don't know. I mean, offline organizing is, in a way, um, counter to our ethos. Um, mm. So how would one address... The guerrilla skeptics who have already done that. If you, how would you? Well, for, I mean, I, it's like, do you fight fire with fire, or do you try some other recourse? If you see a problem on Wikipedia, you can go and try and fix it. Like, in fact, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, yeah. be bold. You see a problem, fix it, because Wikipedia is the product of whoever contributes. Um, 
the way that most very contentious disputes are eventually resolved is people who are less personally invested in the subject come to the discussion and help lower the heat. Sometimes the, the loudest and most frustrated or angry or obstinate or tendentious voices actually need to be blocked and removed from the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, uh, I, I think the advice would be participate in the process. Right. Um, but do it... So again, we're not a vote, right? You know, we're we're not a we're not a democracy in the voting sense. So just having more numbers doesn't help, right? You know, what you need to do is have people who are familiar with the literature around a subject, and come ready to make a persuasive argument, mm-hmm. and who understand the Wikipedia policies enough to say. So we have a policy on Wikipedia. Uh, this is English Wikipedia. You know, there are two hundred eighty-seven other language versions of this. So it's you know, but assume we're talking about English Wikipedia, we have a policy about what is considered fringe or how fringe topics are treated. And the word fringe is not to be disparaging. It's just acknowledging that it's not necessarily a mainstream view. Um, um, And editors are not considered to be neutral. We, all people come with their, their biases and their perspectives. Articles are supposed to be neutral, not the editors. I mean, yes, good editors try to make a better attempt to think, uh, you know, neutrally and, and kind of take a bird's eye view of a subject. But um, we have, so some of our top medical editors um, fight reps from pharmaceutical companies who come to Wikipedia to promote a treatment that does not have demonstrated efficacy. And we have those battles too. Sometimes we catch them. Uh, we have a whole page, if you're interested in reading about it, called Conflict of Interest Editing on Wikipedia. And this problem was so concerning to us that we actually updated our terms of use last year. Because before, it wasn't required that you disclose if you have a conflict of interest, if you were being paid to edit a Wikipedia article. Now it is a violation of our terms of use. You are permitted to engage, but you're required to disclose you know, disclosure is a good first step, but we've tried to create a culture and worked with PR companies, a very broad education uh, led by volunteers, educating PR companies. If you try and keep a controversy out of Wikipedia, for example, maybe that's a a petroleum company that wants to minimize a giant oil leak, um, if, if you try to keep something out of Wikipedia, chances are it's going to have that Streisand effect. People are going to amplify it even more. Um, and if you are discovered uh, trying to sway Wikipedia improperly, the backlash against that when you know, the mainstream press writes about how company X was, or politician X uh, was editing their own pages, I mean... It's pretty embarrassing. It, it, it is pretty embarrassing. Um, I mean, there have been major scandals around it. Um, I, I know one of the editors who uh, once was getting so much biased uh, editing from a certain IP address that they had to block a whole range of IP addresses. And that range was the U.S. House of Representatives. Oh, my gosh. Um, 
So we, we are in this, this, so actually, I'll go back to this for a second. The sounds you heard when you came in were actually the sounds of Wikipedia being edited in real time. Um, maybe you can turn it, turn it on for just a second. The bells are additions of content, and the strings are removals of content. Um, the pitch, the lower the pitch, the, the larger the amount of content that was changed. This is actually happening right now. So Wikipedia is this constantly evolving, changing organism. And maybe something on Wikipedia is really fucked up right now in some area. And again, I'm, I, it's a whole community that's working on this. Um, that organism evolves based on who participates in it. And we have, at least as the foundation, the nonprofit that runs Wikipedia, we don't control this content. Um, we enable a community to try and resolve these issues. And they are really, really thorny, complex, messy issues. Um, but it is evolving. It has the potential to change. And it also has the potential for people to join the conversation who weren't in it before. Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia, was explaining how Wikipedia has these hostile areas, these vicious, hostile debates that people get all torn up about, they're deeply invested in. Um, you know. And he said, when I see that, I think that this is not the worst thing for us to acknowledge because we're having edit wars rather than real wars. That if these are the kinds of disputes we're having where people come and engage in discourse, it's still going to be messy and we're still going to get it wrong sometimes. But this is people engaging to advance the working in a sphere of, of knowledge rather than actual conflict. Great. Um, well, I think we're out of time, but thanks so much, Jake. That was a wide-ranging and passionate discussion. Yeah. So. You should all go home and edit something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> get involved if you're curious. If you're frustrated, stay involved. Um, I argued for eight months over a single sentence. <laughs> and uh, sometimes it takes longer than that to make changes. So um, thanks for listening and really just being a great audience. You've been listening to the podcast for the California Institute of Integral Studies. If you liked what you heard, find us and subscribe on iTunes or listen on our website, ciis.edu slash public programs.